So hello everybody and welcome back to Folk on Falcons. I'm Philip Mundy and joining me is... Ian Joseph. As always, you can find us on social media. So on Facebook, it's simply Folk on Falcons. Uh, if you'd like to find us on Twitter, it is at Folk on Falcons. And if you'd like to send us a direct email, it is folkonfalcons at mail.com. This week we'll talk about our victory over Bristol. Look forward to another match against a West Country team being Gloucester at King's Home at the weekend. Um, we've got quite a few things in the Rugby Wheels to talk about. The incident at Saracens where they had two balls on the pitch when Saracens scored their quick tap penalty. Um, water carriers getting increasingly involved. Players getting marched back to 10. Referees get over, overly familiar with players' names. Tights and leggings are now permitted. And finally, we'll wrap up with our very good news about the England selections, or maybe not good news for the Falcons matches, but very good news for those players indeed. So, without further ado, it took 38 minutes to get there, but eventually we got the points on the board against Bristol at the weekend. Um, I thought, overall, we were very positive throughout the game. We took our chance when we got it. We perhaps let a couple of others go. Bristol certainly didn't do that. Um, they were dropping it left, right and centre. And overall, I think, although it wasn't a high-scoring win, it was certainly deserved and um, with value for it. Yeah, as you say, I think deserved is the key word there. But um, on and on the face of it, it was a really good win. I mean, let's not forget Bristol were very much under strength and they were playing new players in, well, giving new players debuts in some cases and playing some sort of more of the fringe players. But nevertheless, it's still obviously a really good win and um, an important win because uh, we're starting to see maybe the league is starting to fragment a little bit. And I think it's important we do pick up these very winnable games to stay in touch and kind of maintain where we currently are sitting in the league. Um, but as you say, it was a bit of a busy game, really. And it was frustrating that it did take us so long to get our first try because we had a, a hatful of chances in the first half. And every time we got near their line, we kept dropping it or giving it away or whatever it may be. Ian, it was very frustrating because we were clearly on top um, and we just weren't putting away the chances. And you could see why we don't score that many points because we just, when those chances do sort of appear and come about, we don't take them. And it's kind of what Dino said as well in that, you know, once it gets past up three or four phases, it just sort of broke down a bit. But it's disappointing. We've got to find that, that killer instinct. And it, I kind of went away from the match, not, not, quite with the same disappointment as the Bath win, which is kind of funny to say with a win, but it, it was still quite a little bit disappointing that perhaps we didn't really kind of put the game to bed much earlier, because I don't think Bristol kind of got out of 22 maybe once or twice at all in the first half, and really we should have been more than seven points up at that stage. Not much happened on the scoreboard in the first half, it was only our try immediately before half-time, but um, Bristol certainly had the chances, they were going behind us a couple of times and threw away would pass or dropped it, or just simple errors that they made, and I think we... Um, we perhaps got off a bit lightly there, but then when we got our chance, eventually Chick took it, um, bundling himself over from a yard out. Referee Christoph Ridley um, did another one of his funny decisions in the second half where we got our try disallowed when we splintered their scrum to bits, nicked the ball, and um, I think it was uh, Wright would have scored in his debut. But it was very similar to last season. He he gave a very strange decision against us last year, I remember, when we were going to go for a pushover try and then suddenly blew up midway through a a scrum member about to shove them over in the early half of last season. Can't quite remember who it was against, but once again, we've uh, lost a try because of a strange scrum decision by Christoph Ridley. We also did another decision um, in the second half, again, with the scrum, where I think we'd won a couple of free kicks in the scrum, and each time we sort of we, we reset for, for the scrum. And then bizarrely, even though we seem to be on top, he gave a penalty to them. And that was at one point, even the second half, about 
maybe about 10 meters out or something. That was a bit of a mystifying decision as well. So he does have a bit of a, a track record with that, really. Yeah, maybe he's, he, I know he's a scrum half from the Leicester Academy. I presume he's never been near a front row in his life. And um, maybe he just does a bit of guessing and waves his arms around and hopes he gets the, puts the right one in the air. I don't know. Certainly seems that way with some referees sometimes. Um, and then I think we've got to mention um, for Bristol's try, I think Mike Brown didn't do himself any favours because he said something to Ridley and got March back 10 or the referee I can't remember. Was it he turned the scrum into a penalty or he marched us back 10? Anyway, everyone's heads turned and their backs turned and suddenly before you know it, Randall's hiring off down this pitch out, outside Carl Fernsey, Paul Guidance done a chance of keeping up with him. And um, then they scored in the corner, but um, Radwan almost bundled him out. And I think certain certain camera angles, it certainly looks like he got him out. Doesn't really affect the outcome of it. Bristol didn't get a bonus point in the end. It's only, only points difference. But had that one been... Um, given in the match depended upon it I think there would have been very a few questions would have been asked about the TMOing because it looked to me for all the world like the, there was a foot in touch I mean my gut reaction to that I mean I sit in the far corner of that in the West End so I wouldn't have, didn't have the greatest view my reaction was that it probably was a try uh, that was just seeing it live but it was very close and when I saw the TMO I sort of swung the other way and thought well actually that looks like it's probably out but it was a pretty close call but the fact that he gave the, the on-field decision is no try. I couldn't see enough evidence to reverse that. Um, so I thought we were a bit unlucky with that as well. But we mentioned there, I mean, it was a disappointing one to give away anyway. And when you talk about Brown and Randall, I think they were two big personalities in the match because for them, I think it was Randall who was their main threat and showed just how good he was. And I think he really is their best player at the moment. Um, he was quick with it. He was sniping around. He always looked really dangerous with it. And I think everything that good that came from Bristol, and they did show flashes of it, um, you know, some of their quick play and some of their quick breaks was mainly through him. And Brown, on the other hand, you know, you mentioned the back chat and, there was that, and I think he tried to force a couple of passes, really, when he, he shouldn't have, when we were deep within there, 22, and all he had to do was kind of hold on to it and just recycle it. And he did that a couple of times, and it was just really when it wasn't on. Uh, apart from that, I thought his general play was fine, but I think they, was, they were two sort of big characters in the match. But yeah, as you say, going back to their try, um, was frustrating, but thankfully in the end, it didn't really matter. But of course, in terms of mouthing off the referee, we got the reverse of that, didn't we? With uh, was it Sheedy mouthing off, and we got a penalty, which obviously was very important to us later on. I was just about to say that. If you marry up all the sets of players on the pitch, actually, um, you marry up the half-backs, I think Randall probably had the edge on Schroeder, although Schroeder didn't play badly. But um, I thought Sheedy had a shocker. He's well and truly outplayed by Conan off the tee and ball in hand. I think he didn't have a great game. If we look at the front rows, um, coming up against Carl Sinclair, I think... Trevor Davis and, and the rest of the front row did extremely well. Justifies his English selection, which we'll come on to. And I thought second rows don't often get much of a shout out, but I thought uh, both Merrick and Peterson were fantastic on the day. Barely put a foot wrong either of them. Line outs were solid and um, getting around the park and doing the big big carries. And I thought our back row played them off the park throughout the entire day. Welsh, once again, fantastic. Chick got his try and once again played very well. And then um, Carl Ferns, he did what he had to and of course he was always going to be blown after about 60-70 minutes but he, he got taken off and replaced I think throughout the match they were better in the centres I thought that the the combination the new one that we saw um, Stevenson and Wright it worked pretty well didn't see too much wrong and defensively I think we might have sorted ourselves out in the centres and then out wide Radwan once again marked out the game but 
Carreras, I thought, was fantastic. Every time he got the ball in his hands, he was lively. He was bouncing through tackles, and he's only a little guy, but he was shrugging defenders off, those scragging him, and he was wriggling free and getting the extra three or four yards and a little half break here and there. And um, I think then if we go from one to 15, I think Mike Brown, as you say, he tried a few Hollywood, well, not a few, a couple of Hollywood passes, which didn't come off, but his general player around the park, I thought, was pretty good. And there's very few players that I'd swap between the teams, possibly, I'd say, if we had to swap between the teams, I might say Randall. I don't think there's anyone else that jumps out at me as on the day Bristol had a better player than us, which I think kind of summarises, I guess, how you could go away from a victory against Bristol disappointed because it was only eight points in the end, not many more, which I think we could have in theory got, but um, I think we've got to be happy with just the four. It's interesting to say, Carreras, you're right, you did have a really, really good game. Nice to see him back and obviously come back with such a bang. Um, to be fair, I wasn't really best pleased of him when it was that penalty wasn't it deep in the second half where you could have just kicked it five metres five meter line up and say he took the quick penalty and nothing came of it um, you're right about the centres I thought Wright was a, gave an interesting option there I thought he played brilliantly on his debut um, better than probably any of the Bath centres did for, um, during the weekend but uh, yeah it's a really good asset for us um, I would still like more from them in terms of attack because as I said before and as I guess as Dino said as well it does kind of break down a bit after three phases and maybe that's something that still needs to be worked on also I thought credit to Bristol you mentioned our back row and our forwards in general and they, they were on top but that was definitely the case but I thought Bristol actually kind of dealt with them pretty well, despite sort of being on the back foot. I thought Fern, they dealt with Ferns really well, actually. I thought he didn't actually quite have the same impacts he had in previous games. And I suppose credit to Bristol because they are they are a good team. But as you say, I think on the day, and our forwards in this case, did get the better of them. Actually, one thing you, you just mentioned there reminds me, we didn't really do much of a rolling mall this week, um, which might suggest the pack knew that Bristol were able to front up. And I think in the scrums, it wasn't domination by one side. They're actually an awful lot of very good Although there's a few free kicks here and there, there were a lot of scrums where they just stayed there motionless, they were set. No one got the upper hand, the ball went in, they pushed against each other, nullified each other, and the ball came out and it worked quite well, apart from obviously the ones where we mentioned the bizarre refereeing decisions earlier. Overall, we deprived them of a bonus point, which I guess if we're within one point of them at the end of the season, we can say well done to ourselves, but I don't I don't think anyone's really expecting a bonus point from that, and I think we just got happy with the four points. A match where I think we could potentially target a bonus point is next week against Gloucester. Um, currently a couple of positions above them in the league and Gloucester's defence at the minute looks quite leaky to say the to say the least. It's always a funny place to go, Kingsham. They've got the shed and it's in full voice. I think no team in the world's going to not be a bit intimidated by it. But um, I do feel like in the last couple of years, Gloucester haven't quite been the formidable powerhouse they have been maybe in the last 10, 15 years. It's definitely winnable. I think you're right in terms of that they are leaking quite a few points. I think we have to be wary because we do know that the flip side of that is they do have the potential just to score a lot of points. And it's a place where we haven't had the best record in the world either. But I think these type of games are really important in the sense that these are probably going to be teams that are around us at the end of the season. I think if we are going to look to finish six or, you know, maybe even higher these are the type of teams, these are the type of games that we do have to win. Personally, I'd be very pleased if we did get a bonus point out of it. I mean, obviously it depends on the performance, but I think if you're offering me four, you snap your hand off of that. Because as I say, these are the games that you really, really need to win or target to win if we are going to sort of cement that top six position. Very much so. And, um, I'm not sure I'm going to try talking about the team that's going to be played because there's definitely a squad rotation policy at the minute. And um, I think it's anyone's guess, apart from the inner circle until a, a Friday when the squad's released, doesn't seem to have any rhyme or reason to it. 
but it's certainly working, so I'm not going to criticise. Sometimes you think people have played fantastically the previous week and they've been nailed on for the next weekend, but they're not in the squad. And unless it's injuries, which aren't discussed, I think it's just a squad rotation system. And it's also very encouraging that this season we seem to have a squad which is able to be rotated in a way where nobody looks out the depth. It could have been argued a couple of times last season when we had that, especially later on in the year, um, when we had one or two injuries or people out for whatever reason that we were fielding people that hadn't necessarily played a great deal of match rugby but at the minute we've got a squad where everybody seems able to play and hold their own and also excel which I think is incredibly encouraging right so we'll move on to the, the general rugby matters well the first one I'd like to discuss is um, the Saracens game it's a bit strange we're doing it a week late at the time I didn't notice it but it's been talked about a bit in some of the fan forums and various places over the last couple of weeks but if you remember during the match, Jamie George took a quick tap penalty and scored a try, which was arguably one of the points where the game turned a bit. At the time, he thought, what the hell are we doing turn now backs? Fair play, Jamie George, you've been quite astute there. But when you look at it a bit more closely, Owen Farrell has the match ball in his hands, and three or four of the Falcons players are obviously looking at Owen Farrell with the ball in his hands. Now, at the corner of your eye, you see Jamie George getting a ball, a second ball, which is the one that he takes the tap penalty with. So... There are quite clearly two balls on the pitch at the point at which the tap penalty is taken, and he bundles over with half the Falcons players looking at the other one. Two balls on the pitch isn't an automatic reason to stop a game. It's only when the ball is deemed to be interfering. And when Owen Farrell is pretty much standing on the mark with the ball under his arm, and the players are looking at him, I see absolutely no reason for uh, no justification for the for the second ball not to be interfering with play. So straight after the try, um, I saw Conan and Radwan speaking to the referee. And um, I thought what they're complaining about. But then it's very clear when you watch it back and you realise what's going on, exactly what they are talking about. And Owen Farrell then took a quick conversion drop goal, obviously, with the ball that he had under his arm. So the whole thing was a complete mess up. And the referee should hang his head in shame there. And I think that it's the sort of thing where, fair, fair enough, Saracens, as you as you do, you play to the referee and you, you got away with one. I think it... If, if it was Newcastle Falcons doing it, we'd be sitting here chuckling to ourselves. But as it happens, it's quite annoying with all the technology you get in the game and all everything else. That something as basic as that ends up potentially costing us a game. I mean, just going to show, as you say, you have all the technology, you have all the cameras, everything. You still get these sort of absurdities and really kind of unjustifiably unfair instances. And, you know, I mean, I guess we can add into the catalogue and maybe a few we've had already this season. But as you say, you know, something like that should be picked out. And I wonder if it was picked out in any sort of refereeing reviewing at the end of the week or or what or, or whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's true. I mean, I, I didn't notice that, but now, you know, but since you mentioned it, it's true, you know, you did have Ragwine complain to the referee, you think or what, what the complaints are about. But yeah, and it just goes to show really and I, perhaps it's it's all that that hasn't sort of been brought up more, maybe. But as I say, it's just one of these sort of absurdities that you still get. And unfortunately, at that game, we were on the end of it. I think I, th- I think people have mentioned that the ball was passed to Jamie George by a water carrier, which brings me nicely on to the next point. But um, not just that Saracens game, but in general, water carriers, I think, are becoming a bit of a, a problem in the game. Um, it used to be you'd have one of the academy lads or a, whoever it was running out with a, a few bottles of Lucozade and saying, t- patting the players on the back and giving them a drink and maybe a kicking tea. Whereas now you've got um, effectively coaches swarm of them running onto the pitch at every instance with their uh, caddies of water and dishing them out and giving instructions and things. And you see in the Exeter game at the weekend v Wasps, there was a bit of a hoo-ha with, I think it was Wasps as water carriers getting involved in the scuffle. Wayne Barnes quite rightly 
told them to clear off. And I think that wasps are going to get uh, penalised for it, probably financially, because I can't really see how you can ban a water carrier. It seems a bit of a futile exercise. But I do think that something needs to be done about their constant being on the pitch and constant getting involved. And it's not the first time you've seen a water carrier interfere with play, a ball get thrown away or end up in the middle of some pushing and shoving. And it's just not what they're there for. Right, um, Erasmus, isn't he? We sort of made it trendy. But um, but then again, I suppose we had Johnny Wilkinson, didn't we, in the cup final? Though I don't know how much coaching he was doing at the time. But yeah, I, I think it's sort of part and parcel of the modern game, really, isn't it? Because you have so many coaches now. And it, it's obviously, a, a, I guess you can call it a loophole in which they, they can come on the pitch of this, in the guise of a, of a water boy and, and sort of give out instructions on the pitch. And there's no reason, well, there's no rule as to why they can't do that. But as I say, I think that's kind of like symptomatic of, of the game nowadays where it's become so technical and you have so many coaches and it's so... It, you know, it, it can be so important that you get a message out at a particular time, at a particular key moment of the game. And if, if it's a loophole that can be used, then, it, then they're professional and they, they, they use it. But you're right. I think you do need to get limits to it. And and it, it is ridiculous when you do get the scenario that you mentioned that happened this weekend with the wasps, water boys, you know, water carriers, whatever term you wish to use for them now, uh, getting actually involved with on-pitch action is, is absolutely absurd. I mean, it's one thing running on the kicking team, giving a few tips here and there or a few pointers, but actually get involved in the action is 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 one step too far, really. And I hope they do get hefty fine, and that should be a message too, to everyone else, really. Yeah, you say it's a loophole, but... Um... To me, loopholes are there to be closed when people find them, find them out. It's not like it's a new tactic developed on the pitch like Italy did in the Six Nations, and then suddenly rooks changed technically from there on in. This is um, it's a almost underhand way of doing something. Um, I'm trying to think of ways to stop it, and the only way I can actually think about stopping it is say that the people who are water boys or water boys and girls should be under the age of 16. Two reasons for that. It means they don't have the wherewithal to be a coach. So it puts the onus back onto the, the, the touchline where the coaches should be or the captain on the pitch. And the second reason is you're not going to get a 16-year-old that's going to start a game of fisticuffs against a professional rugby player. Or if they do, it's going to be over pretty quickly, I think. So I know you had an idea that the, the mascots should perhaps be the water boys. I think that'd be... That'd yeah, be I think that's I'd love to see Flash run on with, a, you know, carrying a few water carriers and uh, maybe having a sly few words at the opposition or whatever. I think that, that can get a bit of traction. I mean... If, if you can play the music, then I can't see why you can't have the mascots running all at the same time. Although then you suddenly end up with a load of um, six foot six ex second row mascots whenever there's a line out, <laughs> things like that, where um, suddenly the mascots will start being professional rugby players or professional coaches. I don't know. At least they'd be in disguise and all we'll be able to see who they are. Well, I was quite like sort of flashed to have, you know, run on with written notes or whatever. And he pulls them out of his wing and passes them to Colin or something. That's, that's probably the next step, I think. That's the way it's going, I reckon. <laughs> um, if we move on to other matters, I've noticed this weekend and in a couple of preceding weekends that referees are a lot keener to march players back 10 for back chat. I know it's been creeping into the game increasingly so over the years, but I think um, a diktat must have been sent down by Rugby HQ to to use the uh, full full arsenal you've got at your disposal. And if players are giving you a bit of lip, just march them back because it, it certainly cuts out. And I think that on field, perhaps there's less chat as well because of that. Well, I mean, we saw it twice the weekend, didn't we? With um, <laughs> Brown and Sheedy both marvelling off and both giving 10 metres to back to devastating effect. I mean, it's the right thing to do, isn't it? I mean, you can't complain if mouth off on the referee. It's just, it's just stupid and you're asking for it. And I'm surprised you kind of... I know it's often heat of the moment and it's very easy to sort of sit and stand or whatever, but 
you would think as you would use, you would think as a professional rugby player, you know, you, you just know that you don't matter off the referee. You just kind of take it and just sort of stand there and don't get much ten meters back. Yeah, you, know, you, you can say things in ways where you get your message across, but it's not explicitly controversial. I remember I used to sometimes say something would be, "Oh, that's a marginal one, sir," and then you're not arguing with them, and they might give you a wry smile. But um, also, when I say it's a marginal one, sir, they would say clear off number seven or wherever I was playing that game. Refs quite often now refer to players by their, their Christian names or their, their surnames or some occasionally you even hear them put a, an E on the end. So I don't know, if, if someone's called Jones, they might call them Jonesy and like this pally sort of nature. And you very soon realise that there's certain referees that only know only do that because they're on a different sort of level socially with these players. And then you realise that you've got a referee that does it to pretty much every player in the opposing team and maybe only one or two of your team and one of them happens to be the captain you think hang on is this referee really objective here or do they have a semi-personal relationship with these players and I think that throughout my time the referees have either said centre or prop or whatever get your hands out or they've shouted a shirt number at you it's never been oi Chris get your hands out of the rug it's never been like that and I see it quite a lot, especially in some of the, the bigger games where the, in the Six Nations and things, people, uh, the, the referees talk to players during the game with um, their, their names. It just seems strange and intuitively wrong to me. Yeah, it doesn't seem very professional, really, does it? And uh, it's almost, uh, I could maybe say, you know, a bit sycophantic in that, you know, they're sort of, it's almost like the referees themselves are in awe of some of the, these big name players. And it, and it, you just look at it on, on the TV and I think they even said it for like Danny Care actually was number one said, oh, Danny, this or that, whatever. And you think, oh, you know, get, you know give me a break sort of thing. Um, and especially as that's obviously going to happen, you would think more, <laughs> more often than not against us as well. Yeah, it, it's unprofessional and you're right. It, it's just something that shouldn't happen. And it's, it's something else which you kind of surprise that it's got crept into the modern game a bit and you would hope that it's sort of clamped down on but as you say it's just it's just silly really uh, sort of the very least yeah and maybe it has something to do with the way the players have increased their back chat to the referees over the last few years it's because they get spoken to in this pally nature they feel they can get away with it and i don't know if i was a dictator of the rfu mr beaumont i'd um go then lay down the law and say players are going to get referred to by their shirt numbers or shirt letters in certain respects if you're Leicester Tigers playing a friendly or something like that. But um, anyway, we move on. We digress. Another rugby point this week. I think a lot of ex-players or recently departed, unfortunately, players will be turning in their graves at this one. It's been permitted that players can now wear leggings and or tights whilst playing. Historically, there's always got to have been a gap between your socks and your shorts in your kit, whereas now you're going to be able to wear um, spandex from groin to toe and I can only think that it's the new generation of fly halves that have been instigating this because there's not a chance that any grizzly 35 year old front rowers and or even ones that are going into their 50s and 60s who still turn up every week and there's not a chance that those guys would be asking for this sort of rule change I mean I would have thought it should be a straight red and five game ban or something I, it's absolutely terrible isn't it it's just, um, I, I did like, I think they, they mentioned it to Brown almost sort of tongue-in-cheek in an interview I saw earlier in the in the week. And, you know, sort of, are oh, you going to be starting wearing leggings? And he, I think he sort of made the point, of, can you imagine anyone, sort of any, anyone in the Falcons sort of suddenly putting on leggings? I don't think so, sort of thing. I, I don't think we'll be seeing any professional players wear it for a very, very, very long time. You may get, I don't know, I guess if you're starting your mini rugby and you've always kind of worn them and, you know, you go through to senior level and you've always kind of worn your leggings and it's 
becomes more, dare I say it, norm, normalised. If I, even though I sort of feel a bit sick saying that, but I, I think it'd be very. I don't think you're going to see it at a professional level. Certainly not. Living in London, as we both have, I'm certainly well aware that when you see certain schools or on Saturday mornings in certain parts of leafy areas of London, you see hordes of boys wearing tights, and you just think, oh dear, is this the, the next England pack? I hope not. And um, then you see the, the really fat kid that can't get the, the leggings wide enough for him and he's probably got some horrible haircut his mum's done. You think, yeah, that's the sort of guy I want in the front row in the next 15 years. But um, yeah, also, I think um, probably you, you will end up with a, I don't know, a Saracens or a Harlequins player who wears them and suddenly gets a huge number of sponsorship deals off the back of it because it's basically how much are you going to rent yourself out for? Your body's an advert. And I, I guess if you, if you can get a sponsorship deal where you wear your... Canterbury leggings and suddenly all the schoolboys start wearing schoolgirls as well. There will be some money in it, but it'll have to be a slicked back brill cream haircut sort of player that the Falcons don't have too many of. Well, I don't know. I think uh, if Davidson started wearing them, you know, wouldn't that encourage you to maybe uh, get get a pair? Um, if, if that doesn't inspire the next generation, I don't know what will. But uh, yeah, I think, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head there. I don't think we'll be seeing them at Kingston Park, at least. Falcons players at Kingston Park at any time soon. I think what I might be tempted to do if I was wearing them, I'd, um, if, as long as you're not a jumper in the lineup, I might cover my uh, my spandex tights in Vaseline. So then you get tackled the first time in a game and then no one can catch or hold on to anything for the rest of it. And the next tackle, they've got Vaseline oil of their hands. Um, that's what I'd probably end up doing. But then that would be clamped down on as well. But I don't know, it's just um, beggar's belief what rugby players are turning into. Uh, the final matter in rugby news this week, which can't go unmentioned, um, we've mentioned it before, it's the England call-ups. There's always the four the four in contention being Radwan, Blamaya, Chick and Davison. And we, we assumed wrongly that a couple of them might get a cut in the training camp, but all of them were in the squad for facing Tonga. And I, I believe it might be the squad that's going to prevail for all of the internationals, not just the, the initial one against Tonga. So it's um, fantastic news and I think well-earned. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's just sort of illustrative of how far the club, the, the squad, the players have come over the past couple of years. I mean, we, we could see even the championship season and especially last season, the quality that these players in particular had. And, but even then, I don't think until it actually happened towards the end of last season, we thought that, you know, they would get any sort of call up, but fair enough. So, I mean, we, we criticized Eddie quite a bit on, on this podcast, especially over the past year or so, you know, he's not afraid to make the big changes and obviously he's building what is a sort of a very young, hungry, different sort of character of squad for the next world cup. And he's obviously looking at sort of our sort of players as very much part of that. That's obvious. And he's not doing that just because of the sake of it. Those players have obviously really, really earned it. And they have done. They've all been absolutely exceptional and have proven that they are probably one if the best, if not one of the best in their positions in the country. So it's absolutely fantastic. And it's, it's brilliant for the club and brilliant for the supporters as well, just to get that extra sort of recognition on the worldwide stage. Also, I think it's testament to everyone involved in the the various ranks of the clubs, they've all come through the ranks. It's not like they've been brought in from somewhere else and they, they were already an England player or they became an England player and they're already professional. They've all come through the Falcons setup. And I think that everybody in the, the academy and the, the reserves and all the rest of it, they can hold their head up high and be very rightly proud of themselves because these people don't get their name in the spotlight much and they, they do a lot of work behind the scenes and they nurture so much talent through that often... Um, ends up leaving the club, but these ones they've done well. They're they're staying, and I think um, it's only only going to be good for the future. I think that's you've kind of mentioned at the end there. That's 
maybe one of the important changes that, that has happened recently and that we are keeping these players. In the past, obviously, we've had very good young players coming through. We've always had actually a really good sort of academy in that regard and a conveyor belt of decent players, but they seem to now be wanting to stay with us and the intricate to, to what the Falcons are kind of building to and going forward. And to see them to be so such an important part of, of a building Falcons squad, but also going forward, core England players is, is really, really special. I mean, it's something that, as I said, as fans, anyone associated with the club can just kind of sit back and enjoy. One thing I think is, is worth mentioning is that uh, Blumaya must have played only about an hour's rugby this season because he, he seems to come on 10 minutes before the end of the game and to be in the England setup, he's obviously doing something right. But I think it just shows quite how, how McGuigan's also playing incredibly well. And if I was um, Andy Farrell in charge of Ireland, I'd certainly be uh, asking McGuigan, do you want to... Do you want to join our next training camp? Because he's playing extremely well. Ireland are blessed with huge numbers of hookers at the minute. And if that happens, I think Falcons end up with a, a bit of a problem. I know we've got people like Madison who can slot in there and potentially Carl Cooper. I don't know whether he'd want to shift back across in the in the spring when the Six Nations are done. But if McGregor ends up getting that Ireland call-up, I'd think, well, good on you. You've definitely earned it. But it would leave us with a bit of a problem. I think with Blamai, it must be sort of the best value minutes per player. So minutes per, per performance in the league. Every time he comes on, he's really good. And I think even at the weekend, um, he won a couple of the really important penalties at the end. And he, he, he's, you know, when you talk about an impact player, I mean, maybe it's not necessarily fair on him, but he really is sort of the archetypal impact player. Um, and to be fair, I mean, maybe that's something England can use. And obviously the Jones and the England selectors have obviously looked at that and saying, oh, well, yeah, he can add that, even though he doesn't get a lot of game time with us. Um, it's one of those sort of funny things, really. With McGuigan, of course, I mean, Ferns tweeted that today, and we've mentioned that before, that, you know, we're kind of surprised that if England don't pick him up, that Ireland haven't come knocking, because it's exactly as you say, they're not blessed with a huge amount of options at, at hooker. But I think one good thing about these internationals is that they seem to be happening when we have the Premiership Cup games. So... Hopefully it won't impact us too much as we would be sort of rotating and playing sort of the fringe players anyway. And I, I assume that's been deliberately done by the, the fixture guards. So it won't affect us too much. I think we can kind of just sit back and sort of watch without the fear of it affecting kind of too much over that period. Yes, um, I think that rounds up the general rugby chit-chat. If we quickly go through the results and the tables um, nationally and locally. So on Friday night, Sale uh, beat Harlequins 28 points to 22. On Saturday, there was obviously our 13-5 match against Bristol. Although, if you listen to the BBC News, you might have not known that was the case because they bothered to mention um, Leicester's thrashing of Worcester, 48 points to three away. And they also mentioned the Wasps-Exeter game, where Wasps lost 23-27. But it just wasn't even mentioned our game on BBC. So um, I think if you want to write to Ofcom or something and remind them that we do exist, then be my guest, because it certainly annoyed me when I was watching the news on Saturday night. Bath shipped 71 points at home to Saracens against their own 17, which I think is their worst ever defeat in the Premiership. That was on Sunday, and also on Sunday was a 25-apiece draw between London Irish and Gloucester. Um, that leaves the Premiership table with Leicester in first, five out of five, 23 points. Harlequins next on 16 with Saracens on 15. Exeter have then played five on 15. Northampton have played four on 14. We, Sale and Gloucester have all played five games around 13 points. Wasps in ninth haven't played four on 11. London Irish, Worcester and Bristol follow having played five with 
eight, seven, and four points respectively. And Bath are languishing at the bottom with a hundred percent defeat record, with only three points. Um, something to mention on this table. Um, if you look at the, the for and against column, we've got the third worst attack, but the fifth best defense. And I think that just goes to show on the bonus points tally where we've only got one. No team to have fewer than us is Bristol, where we've got zero. Looks like it could be another one of these seasons where we score as many as we concede and win, win our games by a point and lose our games by a point or two. Yeah, we just got to hope that, obviously mentioned before, that doesn't kind of come back to bite us. Um, I mean, proof is in the pudding in terms of, for example, look at London Irish in that league table. They haven't won a game all season and yet they're only five points behind us. So it just goes to show that how important those bonus bonus points are. Um, yeah, we're really good defending. That's great. Obviously, a great platform to build on. But at the end of the day, the way that the points, the bonus points work, it's better to, you know, to lose 50-40 than to 20-10 or something. So, you know, it's all very well saying don't the basketball rugby, but at times you know, it's probably a bit better. So you just got to hope that doesn't come back to us. But I think we can be pleased on the balance kind of where we are sitting in that league at the moment. Yeah, um, then if we go on to the, the Northeast rugby results, um, Darlington in National League One were away to Chinner and they won 23 points to 20. Uh, Bladen pips Bourneville by a point and Tyndale and Sheffield's match was postponed. Anak absolutely thrashed Rosendale in the North Premier, 53 points to seven. And Billingham got uh, convincingly beaten by Preston Grasshoppers. Um, in North One East, Concert um, put away Bradford and Bingley, 52 points to 36, which is obviously very good. And Morpeth and Durham both lost relatively narrowly. Then you've got all, all of the Durham Northumberland Division 1, 2 and 3 fixtures, which I'm not going to dive into too much. But um, I think score of the weekend probably has to go to uh, either Darlington, who beat Whitby 73 points to 21, or potentially Gates, who beat Winlayton Vulcans 60 points to 17. Right, so you've been listening to Folk on Falcons. Thank you very much for making it this far through and we'll speak to you again next week, hopefully after another four or potentially even five point result away at Gloucester. So thank you for listening, everybody. Bye, everyone.